And welcome back, everyone, to another episode of This Show is All About You, a show about all the ways in which you and me connect as we and what that means then for all of us. I am your host, as always, J.D.K. Winnikin. Find out more about me at my website, that is wordsbyjdk.com, and on my social media feeds at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just look up my last name, W-Y-N-E-K-E-N, and you should find me. I'd love to hear from you and uh, get some feedback on the show, get some ideas, and just have some conversation. Welcome to all of you to episode uh, 36 for of this show for September 13th, 2021. And uh, we're just going to jump right into it today. Uh, the title for today's show is Remembering 2977, 2977. Those be the number of lives lost on September 11th, uh, 2001, which is going to be the subject of today's show. Uh, so Remembering 2977 is today's title. And the haiku to go with it goes like this. We say the world changed that day. Perhaps it's better to say many did. We say the world changed that day. Perhaps it's better to say many did. And uh, certainly we all uh, had September 11th on our minds this past weekend. Uh, And certainly every time this anniversary comes around for the last 20 years, uh, at least I have reflected on where I was that day. Uh, It's one of those moments in life that everybody always says where you all remember where you were Uh, When it first started for me, I was in graduate school at Ohio University. So I was in Athens, Ohio, and uh, heard about it when a friend uh, called me up on the phone and said, get to a TV as quickly as you can. Told me sort of what happened, but I didn't quite believe it. Couldn't quite get the sense of it. And I ran two blocks to the institute where I was working as a grad student at the time. And all of my grad school colleagues were in there. And I got there just in time to see uh, the South Tower fall. Uh, and friend of mine, Steve, looked at me and said, what's the date today? And uh, I said, I don't know. I had to take a look. And I said, it's September 11th. And he goes, we're going to remember this one just like December 7th, right? Which is what you would expect a bunch of history students to probably be talking about that day. But uh, I know it's a real powerful thing. And so I'm, I'm wondering, um, in, in studio uh, is my producer, Stacy. Stacy, where were you that day? Well, so... You're from New York. Yeah. So uh, living in Connecticut on the East Coast, um, our daughter was in um, school and I was home with my two youngest ones. Mm -hmm. And I had dropped her off, got her off to the bus and then called a friend of mine. Her husband answered and I was like, what are you doing home? And he said I was working out and a plane just went into World Trade Center. And he said, turn on the TV. So I turned on the TV and then basically watched for the next 36 hours Mm -hmm. the world come crumbling crumbling down. And as a bedroom community of New York, there were people that were, you know, once, twice removed from me Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, didn't hear from family for a while, Um, you know, it you didn't hear planes that day. I mean, it was it was it was crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was yeah, and I can I can relate. I watched TV for hours upon hours. I'm also wondering, uh, the other person in here is is uh, my engineer and producer, Eric. Eric, where were you that day? Yeah, I I remember I was at home in Tacoma. I was asleep uh, when it happened because mm-hmm. uh, it was early on the East Coast when it mm-hmm. happened. And mm-hmm. um, so but I woke up to the news on the radio and then went like you and looked at the TV, mm-hmm. you know, to see what was going on. And I had tickets to a show in Portland 
that night and mm-hmm. um, friends that were going to come with and they canceled. And I thought about canceling, too. But I thought, well, what am I going to do? Just sit at home and kind of wallow in this, mm-hmm. you know, for mm-hmm. the whole evening. Um, so I decided to go to the show, uh, drove down to Portland, and it was Bell and Sebastian, a band from uh, Scotland. And uh, they had um, Jonathan Richmond, uh, who had lived in Boston and New York, and he was opening up. Um, and he was, you know, he he was kind of bummed out. Normally his music's really happy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he was like, yeah. uh, he was like, you know what? Um it was a terrible thing that happened, but, you know, we're, we're going to get to see the best of people, too, responding to this. Yes. And that was something that really stuck with me, like how, because um, it, it was a sold-out crowd, and there was this, normally be very jovial, mm-hmm. but of course there was this kind of pall over the crowd. And to hear those words just was so kind of comforting um, and made me feel like I made the right decision by continuing to yeah. go to this show, for sure. Yeah, and, and certainly, uh, you know, reflecting back on that, there there was a lot of both of those. I mean, the horror of the day was something unprecedented. Nobody had seen anything like that. And yet, um, as I've talked about in other contexts, um, in the midst of the most horrible things, sometimes uh, the most amazing uh, stories and best of humanity uh, comes out at the same time. And that was certainly that case that day. I, I spent a lot of time over the weekend watching some very the various documentaries that have been released in the last month or so on that. There's a great one on Netflix that uh, talks about it going all the way out till uh, just recently with the end of the war in Afghanistan. There was uh, another one National Geographic did in cooperation with the 9-11 Memorial and Museum that was very powerful, uh, six-episode one. So I spent a lot of time watching that. So I was thinking about it over the weekend, and it seemed fitting to come into the show when a lot of people with my historian background, a lot of people ask me now 20 years on, you know, is this really history yet as opposed to current events, <laughs> you know, and, um, and we're getting there. Uh, you know, a lot of historians uh, tend to think that about a generation needs to pass or so before we can definitely call something history. And certainly if you think about it, those young adults that are entering the workforce now as full-time workers are in their mid twenties and probably have no memory of an event that happened 20 years ago, or very minimally. They might remember a couple images. They might remember their reaction of their parents. But there is a whole now young generation of millions of Americans who have no living memory of that event. That is always hardest for the people who do, right? Because it becomes an automatic divide, right? It's an an automatic difference of perception and difference of understanding and reality. To a certain degree, that's unavoidable. So, for example, it's one of the reasons why in the 1960s, when there was such a generational divide between that generation that was either going to Vietnam or protesting Vietnam and the World War II generation of their parents that had grown up in the Depression and had fought a Second World War, those worlds were very, very different from one another. And those generational gaps, there's really nothing you can do to fully bridge them. So in that sense, I saw a lot of people uh, commenting on social media this, this past weekend that a lot of people seem to be forgetting 9-11. Um, I don't think if that's exactly what they mean, the answer is probably no, uh, because anybody who went through it and witnessed it uh, remembers it. <laughs> what it means is there's fewer people remembering it today than there were 20 years ago. Well, of course, 20 years of people, 20 years, people who went through it have passed on and people have grown up who don't remember. it. That is unavoidable. 
right? To the point that there are just as many people in the world now who remember the Civil War as there are who remember ancient Rome. Zero. Well, that's <laughs> Time I, goes by. I don't mean to interrupt you. No, it's fine. It makes me think of within my own family. Mm-hmm. Annie was old enough that she knew that there was something Your going on. Yep. yep. She's 25. Uh, and then, you know, Will is 22. So he was only two. Mm-hmm. But he knew that there was a shift in mom that day. Grace is 21. She doesn't know. But mm-hmm. she's, you know, a native New Yorker at heart. So mm-hmm. she's like, ah. and then Charlie at 18. Nothing. Nothing. So even in your own family. Even with my own family yeah, making the point. that Absolutely. Yeah, so Absolutely. And so, you know, what I was thinking about uh, with all of this was that, yes, there's a generational change, and this is steadily becoming, I guess, something we could call more history than current events, even though it continues to shape our current foreign policies and our current domestic policies. And it certainly uh, shapes what I would call our internal worlds. Uh, I heard that a lot. The, the phrases I heard over and over the weekend were things like, the world changed that day. Never forget, always remember. Uh, And I heard them time and time again. I've heard them all for 20 years. And the more I reflected on it, the more I realized that once we get beyond the circles of people who were directly affected, people who lost their lives, obviously, the people who are their closest loved ones to them, once we get those circles get out further and further, there's a danger that can happen over time that we're not really sure what we really mean when we say those things. And from a historian's point of view, that's one of the reasons why historians do what they do, right, is to keep reminding people of why some of these things, these things matter. Uh, I was just talking with people before the show. You know, it's like really important that we remember this. Yes, it is important. Why? Uh, right. Well, because it was a really, I mean, it was a really important event. Yes. But why was it an important event? <laughs> was it an important event because we were attacked so brazenly? on U.S. soil? Was it because so many people died? And we originally thought it was a lot more. You know, going back in the context of the time, I remember very clearly for the first two or three days, the speculation of people who died was in the tens of thousands, not 3,000. Now, certainly 3,000 is more, 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 more than ever we should want to see in anything like that. But it was supposed to be a lot worse. 50,000 people worked in the World Trade Center. And talk about an amazing story that that many people were able to escape. Uh, That's remarkable uh, on a lot of levels. And testament to the first responders, of which 300-plus died that day, who got them out. Um, So I thought it might be worth talking a little bit about some of these things. How do we know exactly what we're remembering? (laughs) Why should we or why do we need to? Why shouldn't we forget? What are the dangers? What is the fear? What is, the, what is behind that idea? We can't forget, we can't forget, we can't forget. Well, the challenges of this are many because, as I've said on the show before, when we talk about the lessons of history that we should remember, there's very rarely just one lesson. Depending on who you're talking to, there can be plenty of lessons. Just because we might all say over the weekend, we can never forget September 11th doesn't mean that we're all talking about the same thing when we say that, or that we all mean the same thing when we say that. Um, I don't think there is a consensus in this country anymore on why or how or specifically even what we should remember with September 11th. And some of those documentaries I I talked about kind of illustrated that. Some were focused very much and only on 
uh, the testimonial of survivors who survived. And those were powerful. Another one was on all the decision-making at the top, how this affected the president and his staff and what they knew when and how did they respond and, and all of that. Others talked about the roots of it in the Middle East. Where did the 19 hijackers come from? Where did their ideology come from? How did that motivate them? How did that intersect going as far back as the Iranian Revolution of 79 and the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan that same year? All those things taken together, the rough answer is yes, all of those things, right? We should remember. And certainly, knowing what we do now, what came in the next 20 years, right? A war of, that just ended in Afghanistan that cost $2 trillion. Another war in, in Iraq that was, depending on who you talked to at the time and since, uh, had varying degrees of connection, if any, to the larger war on terror and all the controversies that went with that. All of those things all fit together. Um, but I'm not sure we're covering really where the changes came from and really where the most profound changes have happened. Certainly we can say the United States changed its orientation towards the rest of the world after September 11th. Of course it did. Sure it did. <laughs> and, uh, and certainly the debates can be, can be had about whether it was most effective, the choices that were made at the time and since. But certainly that changed. It changed some fundamental things about how we lived here at home. Um, for example, something sounds small, but I really miss it. I remember being able to go to the airport as an airplane fanatic. I loved to go to an airport, go through security without a ticket, and go find the best place in the airport to watch airplanes take off and land. I loved to do that. That ended right after that. It, you had to have a ticket for a flight to, to go on board. And certainly those restrictions over time have increased right, to the point that we all roll our eyes when we talk about waiting in the security line at the airport to go wherever we want to go. So those things have changed, even on a small level like that. Uh, but again, you know, when we say we need to remember these things, what is it that we're remembering? And, I, and I, the danger is, and I'm not saying this is happening, but the danger is as we get further and further away from the event, and there are fewer and fewer of us each year who actually remember it as time goes by, those words to remember, to never forget that the world changed, we, they start meaning only that that's important, <laughs> or that was important. And I don't think it needs to, to be that way. Um, so, for example, did the world change? Uh, no. Literally, the world did not change uh, that day. The world was as it was the day of September 11th, just like it was on September 10th, and the next day, September 12th. What did change, and maybe this is what many people mean, but I think they should be more specific, is America's perception of the world and its place in it and its role in it changed. Our understanding of what the threats to the United States or to ourselves personally were changed. It was mind-boggling. It is still mind-boggling to see the images of somebody flying airplanes on purpose into a gigantic building. And thank God that still has the power to shock in that sense, because it hasn't happened since then. I mean, so thank God for that. However, the, the threat to Al-Qaeda from Al-Qaeda had existed for years up until that point. It was a name that was known. Osama bin Laden's name was known. The USS Cole had been attacked the previous year. Several years before that, embassy, U.S. embassies in, in Tanzania and Kenya had been attacked at the exact same time. And bin Laden planted his flag on it. So all those things were known. What changed, of course, was our sense of security. 
sense of safety. An attack like that in the middle of the country's biggest city against one of its biggest landmarks, one of the economic centers of the world, by 19 guys with box cutters who boarded on airplanes was a profound shock, and it was. Many people compared it at the time to the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941, in the sense that it was a surprise attack, came out of the blue, and it brought the United States into a war. Well, the, that's, those are the similarities there. And that's about it, because in 1941, the Japanese sent a fleet of ships to do that. It was a nation state attacking another nation state. This was 19 guys from a terrorist organization, which was the fringe of the fringe of the fringe of the Muslim world, who decided to attack the country. And so that sense of security changed. We were introduced in this country to ideas, dangers, threats, perceptions that we didn't really know much about. And up until then, few of us had shown a lot of interest in, for whatever reason, because of our relative distance. Right? It's nice having oceans on either side of you, right, in the United States. There's our relative distance. Just the fact that we don't have necessarily maybe the cultural connections to that part of the world. Maybe it's just not part of our daily thought patterns or our daily interests, whatever. So undoubtedly, September 11th brought Americans into a new relationship with the world. And I would say perhaps more importantly on to a new relationship to the world within ourselves. The world's inside all of us changed our internal world. And then by extension, how we interact with others began to change and change in some cases fundamentally. So kind of dig into that a little bit more. Let's, I would like to just give you an example with some numbers here. 2,977 people died on September 11th, 265 on the planes, which included the 19 terrorists. I've included that number. 2,606 at the World Trade Center, 125 at the Pentagon in Washington, and over 6,000 people total were injured. Now, for them, obviously, those worlds changed or ended, right? And so for them, that was the most profound, right? Now, there's a theory out there called Dunbar's theory that says that human beings roughly at most can maintain up to 150 relationships of various kinds at any one time. It could be the most basic of acquaintances all the way up to the closest. Uh, so 150 relationships each of us generally can, can maintain. Then there's something also that some social scientists call the bereavement multiplier, which says that every single person has about nine people that they are super, super close to and that would be directly affected in profound, significant ways by their death or something like that. So if we do that math, and I hate to break this down to numbers, but I just want you to go with me on this example here. If we use the Dunbar principle, that's 150 people. That means the 2,977 people who died that day, multiply that times 150, that's 446,550 relationships that were directly affected by that. If you add in the 6,000 who were injured, that's another 900,000. So that's 1.46 million, roughly, people who had relationships on average, you could say, somewhere in there, where it was a direct shock to the system of what happened that day. If we we're going to take the uh, bereavement uh, scale, that's a little bit smaller. 2,977 uh, 2, dead times nine, 26,793. 
you add the 6,000 uh, who are wounded, 54,000. That's still 81,000 people in the country. That's a lot of worlds changing. I spent a lot of time thinking over the weekend about this, about those people, those people whose worlds fundamentally changed because they lost a loved one that day. Some of the names are better known than others. Right? We, we remember oftentimes the names of the passengers on Flight 93. Todd Beamer, Mark Bingham, the ones who charged the cockpit and forced that plane down into a field in Pennsylvania rather than allow it to move on to Washington and hit the Capitol or the White House or wherever it was going to go. We remember those names quite a bit. Every year, of course, when the memorial is done at the World Trade Center site and all the names of those who died that day are read out loud, that is as it should be. Because those worlds and the worlds of the people that they loved changed fundamentally that day. Now, just as a quick aside, I'd like to throw the, uh, the COVID numbers <laughs> out there for kind of just to, to compare. Um, as of today, 670,000 people, di- uh, 670, people have died in the United States with COVID. If you take the, uh, the bereavement multiplier, that means 6 million people, a little over 6 million people have been directly affected by a COVID death. If you take the, uh, the Dunbar theory, uh, it's 100 million people, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, as far as cases go, there have been 41 million cases in this country. You multiply that by nine, that's 369 million. And the U.S. population is 331 million, which means by average, all of us know somebody close to us who has had COVID at some point. And one out of every three of us roughly, knows somebody who died. And then if we take the 150 number, um, it's 615 million. <laughs> okay, so, you know, take that as you will, but just to, to point that out. Now, to bring that back around, that internal change okay, for us, because it's worth remembering. And when I think of what should we remember, this is what I end up coming back to. Those 19 terrorists that day, the entire idea of them killing as many people as possible was to terrify the rest of us as much as possible. Let's keep that in mind. The goal, yes, kill as many as you can. But directly connected to that was terrify that many more. In the hope that, you could say, they get out, the U.S. gets out of the Middle East or whatever the case may be. Uh, and that was one of them. But in the big scheme of things, for a group of radicals who believe that the United States was corrupt, rotten to its core, the great Satan, whatever you want to call it, the long-term goal for them, if they could have dreamed it up, they could have articulated it, probably would have been to see the United States implode, to turn inward on itself, to turn away from the rest of the world, and then ideally turn on each other. And I wonder, in the sense of that goal, how well did they do? We remember rightfully, as Eric mentioned at the top of the show, When there's a catastrophe, we oftentimes see the best (laughs) in human behavior in our response. And it's right to remember that for September 11th. Because if you think about it, all the things that normally divide human beings disappear in the midst of a crisis. Those 300 plus firefighters who went up the stairs in both towers didn't care at all what the what the people they were rescuing looked like, what their political affiliation was, what religion they were, if any, they didn't care. And the people who were being rescued by them didn't care either 
the people who are helping out on the ground at the Pentagon are at the World Trade Center site. People coming from miles around to help in everything from handing out bandages and water to feeding first responders weren't thinking about those things either. When there are major fires or major catastrophes, hurricanes down in the south, fires in the west, when rescuers show up at homes to rescue people, they aren't asking each other, are you Republican or Democrat? They aren't asking, what religion are you? When I know I have somebody who needs an emergency surgery, I'm not going to quiz their surgeon on those questions either. In the end, we kind of admit that a lot of that stuff is BS when the chips are down. And I wonder sometimes why it takes catastrophes like 9-11, forest fires, plane crashes, hurricanes for us to show that true side of ourselves, for us to really focus on that. It's dismaying to me that that is not the norm. And I know some people might think that's naive, but I don't care. Because if it's possible in those moments, it's possible all the time. Our internal worlds, we lost our sense of security after September 11th, and fear has been a dominant thread in American discourse ever since. Fear of the outside world, fear of the unknown, fear of division, fear of the country changing, fear of younger generations, older generations, this party, that party. And when security becomes our number one priority instead of connection, instead of connecting and trusting others, we are allowing our worlds internally to change. And that inevitably changes the world around us, which means it can be reversed. To me, what I try to remember on September 11th and will continue to try to remember are all those good things that connect us as human beings. The reason why I want the sensibilities of that day to be the norm in my daily life, and hopefully others can find it in their daily life, because that can bring about the profound changes that we all want to see. So with that in mind, what I wanted to talk about today and I really appreciate you sticking around and listening to this episode of this show is all about you I am your host JDK Winnick and you can check me out at my website wordsbyjdk.com or on my social media feeds at Facebook Instagram or Twitter thanks for sticking around look forward to seeing you next week on another episode and between now and then everyone chins up